Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris, Teaching Pastor Clayton Cannon, and Special Guest Whitney Stokely. Whitney is our Care and Recovery Pastor, and we are so glad to have her joining us today. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got a question. What is one cool feature that you would add to your dream house? And Whitney goes first. Whitney goes first. Yes, Whitney goes first. Anything, Whitney. All right. Money is not an option. Money's not an option. Then it's got to be like a glassed-in room so I can sit by a fireplace and watch the snowfall. Whoa. So so like Like, all glass, like the whole, all all the walls glass around. There are TikTok videos that go around with this image, like glass ceilings, glass walls, and the snow's just going outside. It's just wonderful. It's like your own little igloo. I heard about one. Pro snow answer. A pro snow answer. That's, that's good. That's good. I, I heard about someone renting a like a, a Airbnb that had a, a like a glass wall room where mm-hmm. the wolves would come up. Like it's out, you know, it's in like uh, Canada or you know somewhere out there. And like I was like, I don't know if I wanted to see the wildlife that comes up to the house, but but the snow that sounds nice. He said yeah. Canada or somewhere out <laughs> there. Somewhere out there. <laughs> there. I don't know. In, I don't know where the wolves are. I somewhere secluded in Canada. Canada. Land. <laughs> is that where all the wolves <laughs> are? <laughs> That's all right. Where all the snow is. <laughs> They're not How about the same you, Nikki? Me, um, gosh, I I thought you know personal chef. I don't. I like Wait. cooking. I like cooking, but I don't ever want to cook. I know it's a dream house, but I want like the the top tier best personal chef that you can get to cook whatever I want whenever I want it. Is, that, was, is that a feature of a house? I was yes. thinking a, a oh, dream mean, remodel, not like adding mm-hmm. people into the home. <laughs> yeah. Because if we're adding people... To me, it's assumed I already have a dream house. Like, it's already what I want it to fully be. We have to explore this, because Whitney just said, if we're adding people... (laughs) So, Whitney, by all means, finish that thought. I'm adding a baker, a barista, a chef, a cleaner. I'm adding everything. Wow. We're going to have a full staff. That was a good staff of people right there. Seriously. Yeah, but I, I, I figured the dream house is already assumed... I wanted someone that could just. But your dream house is going to be different than ours. So, you, what would make yours a dream house? The chef. The chef. The okay. chef. <laughs> so it can be an apartment, but as long as there's a chef, as it could be a dream and apartment. I'd be yeah, down with okay. that. I'd be down with living in an apartment with a chef, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. And Nikki, by the way, I just want you to know huh? that was my top answer. A, Wait, a that was your answer? Really? Was a chef? Yeah, chef, chef was gonna. It was. Whoa. I was toggling in my head between two answers. One was a chef. I didn't know if that met the criteria of the question. Well, there you go. I broke it. (laughs) Since Nikki said chef, I'll go with my other answer, which is a ginormous uh, hot tub. You know the the ones that are like uh, swim spas? Like the two levels? Yeah. So like there's the place you can sit in your hot tub and then you can get down into it and it's like a pool and then there's a current and you can actually like swim to exercise. An indoor ginormous hot tub like that where people can come over and hang out inside during the winter. I'd wow. love that. Now let's boost that up and put it in my glass room. And have Nikki's <laughs> chef serving us food. Yes. At, at the same the time. Guys, this oh, is God. great. All right, Clayton, how are you going to finish this dream? How are you going to do it? Mine doesn't mix with yours, I don't think. <laughs> I want I want the library from Beauty and the Beast. Oh. You know, the, the just like. <laughs> no, no, it's room. okay. I think I think there could be like a nook in the corner or you, something like that. I can't like get that. these books wet. I just, I just can't. But I would read them in the glass room if I didn't have to be in the hot tub. 
That's we can make two divisions: a hot tub classroom <laughs> and a library classroom. I, yeah, that would be that'd be awesome. That works. The wow. chef comes to both. That works. Yes, it comes to both. How may I help you? How may I serve you? All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at? All right, we are in the book of Lamentations. We are in Lamentations chapter 3. Let me give you a little context for this book. We just finished up the book of Jeremiah. This is the other book in the Bible that was written by Jeremiah. Uh, If you remember from Jeremiah, what happened was uh, the people had sinned over many generations. Jeremiah was sent to say, the Babylonians are going to come and take you away into exile And the city of Jerusalem is going to be invaded. So this was the really tragic thing, that the Babylonians were going to come in, they were going to destroy the city, they were going to destroy the temple that was there, and take away the people. Lamentations is the poetry that Jeremiah wrote after witnessing this happen. So he was there, he saw Jerusalem fall, it was horrific, and he wrote five chapters of uh, just deep poetry expressing his grief over what happened. And just to know a little bit about how this is, it wasn't just him kind of off the cuff saying what he felt. It was actually really uh, thoughtfully structured. So uh, the poetry is, uh, there's kind of a Hebrew style of poetry called acrostic, where they take all the letters of their alphabet and they write one verse starting with the letter of each of those letters of the alphabet. So A, B, C, well, but the Hebrew version of that. And when you get to chapter three, it is the middle of this whole suite of poetries uh, of poetry. And instead of doing one line starting with each letter, they do three lines starting with each letter. So you'll notice each of the chapters, the first uh, two chapters are 22 verses for 22 letters. Second is 22 verses. This one is 66 verses because it's there, there are three, each starting with uh, a letter here. So we're not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I am going to have Eric uh, read uh, verses one through nine and then 19 to 42. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice, would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? 
Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. All right, let's go on to the O and comma, which is observations. This is where we notice details in the text. So what do you guys see? First thing I noticed from the first half that we read was uh, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional pain. There's a lot, a lot going on in here. Also in the first half, there's not really a mention much of God or Lord. He, he's just declared as he. Mm-hmm. My first observation is probably because it's poetry. It's more about what it's making me feel than what I specifically see in the text as we read it. Uh, there is some desperation and sorrow, as, as Nikki already mentioned, and I think that's probably the point of poetry is to get you to feel a certain way. And certainly there is a feeling here. I see a lot of imagery, especially in that first section that we read. Uh, there are, you know, the Nikki was pointing out the physical and mental and agony, but it's expressed through things like broken bones and my skin and flesh grow old. I'm in darkness like those who are long dead. Like there, there's there's vivid imagery and he's kind of grabbing at a lot of different things. You know, I'm walled in. There's chains weighing me down. You know, the the rod of anger. You know, there's there's all of these different things trying to capture the feeling. And he's... He's not like describing the literal picture of what he's seeing. I mean, obviously, there's probably horrific things, and in other places, he does describe the city being attacked. But he's he's almost trying to grab how difficult this is to witness and to bear mm-hmm. through all of these different things—the the chains and the darkness and and all of this imagery. Even even the image of taste, like he talks about bitterness and gall, almost like in your mouth you have just this like ugh, kind of taste in your mouth. You know, the imagery is very personal. It doesn't feel like we're talking about a nation any longer. We're talking very individually, our taste and our skin and our bones. Yeah. Well, you can tell how much Jeremiah like identifies with the people because it. you could talk really generally. That's a, that's a really mm-hmm. good observation because um, Jeremiah has been announcing to this nation like, hey, this is coming, this is coming. Sometimes when you have to give that message, you distance yourself from the people who are receiving it because that's the way to cope with it, right? Like you say... Okay, they've got. They're going to get bad news, and I'm going to not be, you know, so close to them. I'm going to be at, at an arm's length. But he's still like deeply, deeply connected. He he deeply cares. Like this is very, very personal. I lo- I like that observation. In verse eight, uh, he says, "Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer." Um, you know, even in the the midst of knowing what God intended to do, you can still have those moments where you're like. But God, do you really have to? Can can you just help? Um, and he says, no, he, he, he shuts it out as if he doesn't hear it. Um, and then when we turn the corner into that second half, um, he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Like it's also that the, the knowing that like I don't like where I am right now, but because I know this God and I know who you are and I know what that you have good in store. I can have hope in the midst of all of this destruction and desolation and despair. Yeah, there's some there's some reasoning going on here mm-hmm. that even though there is punishment and 
unpleasant things happening. Saying that in a in a very <laughs> understated way. Yeah. It says in verse thirty one and thirty two, for no one's cast off by the Lord forever. Though he mm. brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. There's some reasoning going on here that says, yes, the Lord is doing this, but yes, that's not the only thing that's true. Two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. There is a God that punishes evil and and holds people to account, but this God also has compassion and unfailing love, and he's not just doing this flippantly. There's, There's more to this God and more to this story. So there's some reasoning going on about how this is not the end of the story. I think there's it's really beautiful the way he identifies himself in verse one as the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's hand. But then he goes over in verse 24 and he says, but the Lord is my portion. Mm. Um, there's there's such a relatability there, especially within care ministry. Um, we use this verse for a whole session in care night of we remember the pain and the suffering. We remember the trauma, the journey we've gone through, but then we turn our eyes and, and we remember who is our hope and that's God. Yeah, there's a lot of truths about God in this that are that are really rich. Uh, mm-hmm. Verse 22, right the port, part right before what Whitney just uh, mentioned, the Lord's great because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassion never fails. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And obviously, that's a really famous line. Um, you know, we sing it probably more often than we read this passage. Um, this this episode, we're recording it ahead of time, but this episode's coming out, uh, uh, you know, Thanksgiving time. And so uh, my guess is that in a service uh, around this time, we're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. We usually do uh, at Thanksgiving time. But this is where it comes from. And I find it really interesting that it's smack in the middle of one of the deepest expressions of pain and suffering. Yeah. Like, we sometimes think of... That song, like you're singing, you're thinking of all of the the, the obviously positive things, right? That, that God is faithful because He's provided this and X Y Z materially. You know, He's given you know me you know these relationships and family and all all the good, good positive things. That's great. But Jeremiah wrote this when everything was falling apart, and he could still say, "Great is Your faithfulness. Your Your mercies are new every morning." Yeah, that sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Highways have off-ramps and on-ramps. If you get off the highway, you can always get back on. The same is true with the Bible-savvy reading schedule. You may have gotten off the highway. We all do from time to time. You know, missing one day becomes a week or longer. Well, starting a new book of the Bible in the schedule is an easy on-ramp. Don't beat yourself up. Just jump on back in. The best day to get back to reading the Bible is today. And this has been your comma tip of the week. <laughs> we never know when it's going to come. No, we, we never sure know. Don't. It always gets us. Um, jumping off of what you were saying, Clayton, I'm looking at 25 and it says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. I think a lot of times when people find themselves in these very desolate situations, um, they can feel like God has like turned their back on them and they don't care. And that can also make them have a tendency to be like, well, if he doesn't care, then I don't care. So I'm just going to like forget it and try to go my own way and do my own thing here. Um, but that's the opposite thing. You want those occasions to turn you to dependence in God. And so um, I look at 29, he says, let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. And when I looked in the study notes, it said, 
humble submission. It's like humble submission to the Lord. I'm going to come to God humbly and in submission and independence saying, I know you're the only one that can bring me out of this. Um, to me, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a reminder to not, to not turn your back on God when you're hit, hitting, hitting those rough spots, but to trust in him and in his depend and be dependent in him. I like where in that same verse where it says the Lord is good to those whose hope, whose hope is in him. The next verses, he defines what is good, Mm -hmm. says it's good to wait quietly for the salvation. It's good for a man to bear the yoke. Mm -hmm. And so in God's goodness towards the people, towards us in the middle of the suffering, he's giving us goodness by allowing us to wait for salvation Mm -hmm. and allowing us the opportunity to bear the yoke. Things that we don't describe as good, things that we wouldn't define as good, but to God, those are good things. So Whitney, your your ministry is to walk with people, coach people, help people walking through tough seasons, yes. right? Whether that's uh, in difficult seasons like losing a spouse or you know something where people are grieving, mm-hmm. or in recovery from addictions or whatever it may be. So that when you're talking about it's good to bear the yoke, it doesn't feel good to bear the yoke. So how do how do you find yourself coaching people in those seasons when because waiting takes patience. We would rather just have God miraculously change everything yes. immediately, right? Sometimes he does and that's amazing. But most of the time his goodness is in the waiting and the seeking and the bearing of the yoke. So how do you see that play out or where are the struggles when when you're coaching people? Well, we actually talked about this whole topic of what is good um, just a couple weeks ago in Care Night. And we looked at it. um, I cannot remember the passage. I believe it's in Mark um, where the guy comes to Jesus and he says, "What, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, sell everything. And and the guy's like, I can't. And he goes and he calls him good teacher in that connection and talking to Jesus. And Jesus asks him the question, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God the Father. And we talked about it in the sense of we would like to think of ourselves as good. We would like to say, well, we, we're we trying to be good. We're trying to do good. But in actuality, there is none good other than God himself. And good is a subjective term. What is good for one person may not be for the other. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up on the Gulf Coast. So we had, we were out for hurricanes a lot. And I told them, I said, when I was a kid, a hurricane was a good thing. I got to be out of school. I got to get the snacks that my mother wouldn't buy me on any other regular basis. And I got to have a a hurricane party with my friends. But for the parents who's out of power and having to supply extra snacks for the kid, it's not so good for them. Good is subjective. And so as a person going through pain and trauma, there's a space of faith where we have to sit and trust that God knows what good is. Mm -hmm. Just like in these passages, destruction's all around, but God is saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to be good, I'm showing you goodness by allowing you the space to bear the yoke. And so what we may not see as good right now, this life is not just right now. It's to come. And we have to trust that God knows what good is because he's the only good. 
I was talking with someone recently who had gone through a season like that, who, um, one of the interesting things is they didn't feel like it was good in the time, but then they, they were telling me how even some of the things where they had to take ownership of things in their life, like the things that, that like the situation wasn't good, it was painful, but then the act of like saying, I've got to say, actually, here's my part to play in it. You know, sometimes we're talking about grief, like you lost somebody that it was out of your control or whatever. Yeah. But a lot of the pain that people are going through in Care Night are things that they brought on themselves or their actions mm-hmm. were at least involved in that. And so when people get to the place, and I think I see that in the passage where it's like um, some of what uh, Jeremiah's saying is like, you've, you've got to take the, like, say, yeah, God, we did deserve this. Like these, there was sin here. There, like the consequences of this makes sense given what we did. Um, but that's actually part of the goodness, right? Yes. Like you end up with people who can say, I, I can be honest before the Lord. I don't have to keep telling a story about myself. I can actually get the help that I need because I, like this exposed what was really going on and I couldn't avoid it anymore. And so I had to look at it and sit with it and do something about it. Like there's, it's, it's, uh, painful to watch but it is kind of remarkable the way some of that transformation comes out yeah Uh, another observation i have in verse 40 where it said let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the lord i think what the bible gives us permission to do is to feel all the feels right they're all expressed in the psalms here in lamentations feel all the feels have all your emotions express them freely god's a big boy he can handle everything we'll bring to him but it's not just feel the feels, it's think the thoughts. And at a certain point, you have to engage your brain and your will and say, but there are choices I need to make while I'm feeling all the feels. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. There is thinking going on there. There's active will going on there. There's behavioral change going on there. And so all of these things can be true at the same time. You can, you can be expressing these very negative emotions or feeling all these very negative emotions. And at the same time, while you're feeling all those feels, make a really good solid choice in the middle of it. There's a, a verse there at the end of that section that I th- might confuse some people. Um, in verse 42, it says, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. Um, that we, we sort of cut it off there. We couldn't read the whole chapter, right? Um, but even so, that's just like a striking phrase where it's like, well, well hang on, hang on. Doesn't God forgive? Does this, what does this mean? It, it means something very straightforward in this context. Um, Jeremiah is talking about specific sin that Israel committed and the specific punishment, which was they're going to be invaded, and the people experienced that punishment. So forgiveness would be that they didn't get have to experience the, the judgment from that. But they did. And so Jeremiah is just saying, hey, we got what we deserve. That's that's essentially what it's saying. It's not saying, you know, you're going through something hard. It means God hasn't forgiven you. So sometimes you can read that and out of context think, I'm going through something difficult, and that must mean uh, God doesn't forgive my sin. He's punishing me with this. Uh, this is something – Jeremiah is being very specific to their context. Um, I think in verse 40 – where it says, let us examine our ways and test them. I think it goes back to Clayton, kind of what you were saying about, you know, so many times people have the trauma or the pain happen to them. Um, But there is a role that every one of us plays, Um, whether it's in grief, whether it's you're a victim of something or, or you were the perpetrator, there is a role that we play. And all of us um, are sinners, all of us need to get to the space where we allow the Holy Spirit to 
examine our ways and to test them. Um, even in our actions and reactions to the things around us, not necessarily were we a perpetrator or caused harm to others, but we still have a role that we have to play and we have to be humble in, in being willing to be examined. All right, let's go on to the next section, the first M in comma, or at least the first we're doing this time. We're going to do meditation. Uh, you can do meditation and message in any order here. But for our meditation, we are going to grab onto uh, these very famous verses here in verse uh, 22 and 23. It says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's go on to the other M in comma, which is message. Message is where we take something that we have observed, something in the passage, and then we summarize it in a sentence or so, uh, getting a principle out of the passage. So what message did you guys get out of this passage? Circumstances don't change God. Hmm. My message is the same God who judges also restores. Okay, my message is coming from the verses that Clayton had us meditate on. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So it's that word consumed that I'm focusing in on. And I will say that seasons are seasons. It's not the whole story. A bad season is not the end of a life. And we are not consumed. So we might be going through a season that's bad, a season that we would rather not walk through. But it's just a season. And then in verse 23, God's compassions are new every morning. Morning's coming. So whatever you're walking through, it's just a season. My message comes from uh, the verse where it says, uh, in verse 20, it says, My soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. Uh, And it's interesting because if you look at the verses ahead, it says, I remember my affliction. I remember my wandering. I remember the bitterness. (laughs) Like it says what I remember. And yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. And so there is, uh, the message is this, in the darkest times, keep your eyes on the truth you can't see, God's unfailing love. So there's there's something about um, there being a truth that sometimes you don't see immediately in front of you, because the thing that you're thinking about is the bitterness and the suffering and those things, which are real, and yet there's a truth you can't see. And that's the thing you've got to keep your eyes on. That's the thing you've got to call to mind, that God's unfailing love is true. All right, let's go on to the A in comma, which is application. This is where we take what we've learned from the passage and we say... What do we do in response to it? Um, so I see a message, like an application really clear of it's okay to look back. It's okay to remember the pain. It's okay to remember the destruction, the, 
the trauma that we went through, but we can't stay there. Mm-hmm. We have to turn and remember that God is still God, that God is still a God of hope, that he's still faithful, that he is still there to restore, um, which is which is a really good kind of life application, especially for individuals that feel like seasons never end. They're stuck in those spaces. It, there's an intentionality of forcing yourself to turn your perspective away from the pain and look back to God. Uh, my message was the same God who judges also restores. Um, I'm getting that from verse 32. It says, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his, so great is his unfailing love. And so my application is uh, thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness that um, though he brings grief, he will show compassion and he has great unfailing love. And also um, to be humbly submissive to that, to know that even in the midst of the grief, um, that if I humbly wait for him, um, that he's going to show me, he's going to show me what's good and he's going to show me the way out. So uh, that's it. Thankfulness and humble submission is my application. My application is based on my message that seasons are just seasons. So my application is don't stop. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep moving in a Godward direction. Because if you will keep moving, you will move through the season. If you stop, you're stuck in that season. Don't stop. Uh, Based on my message, which is in the darkest time, keep your eyes on the truth you can't see, uh, specifically God's unfailing love. Um, we've got to do something when you can't, there's a truth you can't see. You have to proactively get it in front of your face, right? You have to, if it's not obvious to you, you've got to do something to bring it to mind. And so there's lots of different ways practically to do that. Some people will do as simple as like, I'm going to write on a note. I'm going to write on something and put it someplace where I'm going to remember. Um, sometimes it's really helpful to memorize a verse, maybe one of the passages in here, um, that talks about God's faithfulness and love. And you say, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to say that multiple times a day, just to remind myself, maybe you need to enlist some help of somebody else. Sometimes the best thing we can do to see what's true is to have someone who can see it clearer, tell it to us. And so you got a friend, you join a group like Care Night, right? Yes. Uh, you get connected with somebody and you say, can you remind me of the things I need to remember? Can you help me know uh, that this is true even when I'm drowning in the circumstances? Tell me the truth. Um, we need those kind of friends. We need those kind of reminders. All right, well, Whitney, before we finish up here, why don't you tell us a little bit about Care Night and how people can get involved? So Care Night is a support group or struggle-focused group night where we all come together on Tuesdays and we have a quick spiritual discipline, devotion, worship, and large group setting. And then everybody goes into their individual groups um, to find people and community that understands what they're going through and relates to them and encourages them. And then are there any upcoming sessions that people can get involved in? Absolutely. So registration should be open mid-November for our winter session of Care Night that kicks off the second Tuesday of January. But we have Care Night Christmas that's going to be happening the first Tuesday of December at 6.30. All campuses will be coming together. People that are just checking out Care Night want to get to know what it's about. Come out. We're going to have the Christmas story. People are going to be there to pray with you. And it's just going to be a fun time. 
All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.